0: Hey folks, welcome to another episode of The Electables. Uh, We're just a few weeks away from the uh, critical Senate runoff elections in Georgia. They take place on January 5th. That will uh, decide the uh, majority in the US Senate. uh, If you are one of the people who believe that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won the election, otherwise you may not be otherwise it wouldn't matter um, but uh, uh, two very intense campaigns going on right now uh, the first one uh, is between uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock uh, and he is uh, the pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church the, the very well-known historic church in Atlanta and he's running against Kelly Leffler, I think I the current U.S. senator who uh, was uh, picked to replace Johnny Isaacson. and in the sec- in this second race, uh, also will be determined on January fifth. Uh, John Ossoff is running against uh, incumbent David Perdue. To help us break down what's going on in Georgia with this Senate, with these two incredibly um, important Senate races, as well as a lot of the drama going around, going on in bet- between. Uh, national Republicans and local Republicans and local Republicans there and and uh, and, uh, and and some of the statewide elected Republicans is my friend uh, Patricia Murphy. Patricia is a politics reporter for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Uh, Patricia and I have known each other for a very long time. She's been a reporter uh, and has covered politics for many years. Um, she was on the Hill for. Uh, when I was there, she's worked at Roll Call. She's had her own column in multiple places. Uh, she is a uh, just an awesome person. Um, in fact, one big secret is that um, uh, Patricia and I had all had had a dream of of a, of of, of uh, co hosting our own podcast many years ago before, <laughs> before our podcasts were. Uh, maybe, remember? Getting, well, actually, it was, was going to be this whole multimedia, <laughs> which was a podcast, a book, maybe a TV series and a movie. Yes. It still it could happen. happen. I mean, I, you know, look, we're both pretty young. We could do it. It still could happen. Patricia, welcome to the Electables. Thank you for joining me. It's great to have you on. It's great to see you, um, too. And uh, thanks for, for, for doing this.
1: Oh, I'm so excited! Yes, you. I have always wanted to do a podcast with Doug Thornell, and now my dream is coming true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, listen. Okay, so you're right down at the heart of like where you know the political world's going to be for the next three or four weeks. Obviously, there's a bunch of craziness going on on Capitol Hill that I know you're also following. And but right now, obviously, the, the political world is is sort of uh, the is focused on the, these two Senate uh, battles. Can you just break down for our listeners, and let's go the let's go race by race, like the dynamics, who's running, where you know sort of what the you know what the key sort of uh, contrast points are, any sort of background on you know how the campaigns are doing, and and, and let's start with um, let's start with the 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 race between Reverend Raphael Warnack. And uh, Kelly Leffler. Am I pronouncing her last name correctly?
1: Yes, it is okay. it is Leffler. Yes. Not yes. not LeFleur nor it's not Loffler. 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 It's not Laffler either, exactly. Um, okay,
0: so break this race down for us.
1: Yes. So it's good to do these separately. These races are being treated almost like like a like a like a two tickets, you know, like the Democrats and the Republicans, but these two races have such different dynamics heading into this runoff event it's really important to separate them from each other so this first one with kelly leffler and Raphael warnock this is the special election runoff to finish off the term of senator johnny isaacson who was a republican um quite moderate relatively soft-spoken a real kind of southern gentleman uh he left the senate in 2019 for health reasons and uh, Governor Brian Kemp appointed Kelly Loeffler. And when he appointed Kelly Loeffler, the thinking was that Georgia is changing. Republicans can't be all white men, as most of the elected officials here in the state are. So he was looking to add some diversity. It's sort of a new face. And because women in the suburbs of Atlanta have become such a crucial voting bloc, there was thinking that Kelly Loeffler would really be able to appeal to those women. Uh, she had come out of the business world, her husband and she, but her husband uh, started the company. Uh, they now own the New York Stock Exchange. They don't run it like they own the whole thing. <laughs> and that is one of their smaller assets.
0: They own the New York Stock Exchange. They own
1: it. It's not, wow. it's not like he goes to work every day and runs it or does not So she got to
0: ring the bell at least?
1: Um, she, she gets to ring any bell she wants. Yeah, I guess so. Yes. So she was the CEO of one of their subsidiaries that did actually cryptocurrency. Um, she grew up in Illinois, grew up on a farm, uh, ended up in Atlanta for work and then met her husband at the company. And then they got married many years ago. Um, the only reason that's important is because she has never won for political office. She has never, um, served in office before, but was appointed to this seat. And another piece of the thinking was because she is so immensely wealthy. She could self-fund this campaign. She could self-fund the runoff campaign, which was expected. And then she can self-fund 2022 if she wins, because she's going to roll right into her next cycle when she's up for her for a full term. That's why Kelly Loeffler was chosen. She had a gigantic um, primary. It was a jungle primary in in the South down here in Georgia. 21 candidates. It ended up being between her and Raphael Warnock. Really, she focused in that first piece of the runoff against Doug Collins, who is very, very conservative congressman here from Georgia. She ended up going to the right of Doug Collins. So now we have um, Kelly Loeffler, who is not any longer trying to appeal to suburban moderate women, but really going for that Trump base. And in her first remarks, as a senator said, I'm pro-gun, pro-life, and pro-Trump. And that's who Kelly Leffler is as a candidate Raphael Warnock as you said is the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church he has also never run for office before but he's been very very high profile and active in Atlanta as the pastor of Ebenezer where of course the king was the pastor and his father was the pastor it's an institution here in Atlanta um but has never run for office so is really an unknown quantity in the political world so now it's down to these two really newbie candidates and um since Election Day, the every piece of fire has been raining down on Raphael Warnock, even from Senator Perdue. The Republicans, because Raphael Warnock is, is relatively unknown, and he had very high positives going into this runoff, they've been spending millions of dollars and all their time really trying to, to uh, bring his negatives up. And uh, going in, it's just very hard to say how that race is going to play out. These two have never had really a head-to-head. That that 21 person primary was, was not a good indicator of really, I don't think we're either of one of them stand because there were lots of Democrats and lots of Republicans. He won with 36%, or I'm sorry, 32%. She came in second with uh 26%. So they both have a lot of work to do to build themselves up to, uh, winning, <laughs> frankly, <Yeah. laughs> they a lot money- of new voters that got to attract. Go ahead. And how's the money
0: for, uh, Reverend Warnock I, I've talked to some of some of his folks and uh, it sounds like it's coming in you know pretty fast they can't spend all of it <laughs> yeah. which I'm not saying don't give I'm just saying that there it sounds like it's going pretty well.
1: Oh yes I mean it's so there's so much money in this race that money is not a factor in this race for either side because these elections have bec- become so nationally important. People are just writing checks. They've never met them, never heard of them on this and writing checks, for Republicans, and Democrats faster than they can cash them.
0: Really.
1: Right. So it's just so far, four hundred million dollars spent and oh. reserved just between November and January.
0: Good <laughs> so God.
1: You can imagine how fun it is to either turn on the TV and really now there's no safe haven. There's no if you're on YouTube, you get them. Um, my son is eight years old and watches fishing videos <laughs> and he came in one day he's like, mom, we cannot afford John Osso. <laughs> that's the ad <laughs> running on the fishing video. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's so, hilarious.
1: So that's that race. It's a really, it's a fascinating race. I, it's my favorite, it's been my favorite race all cycle. Um, and I've had a chance to, to spend time with both of them. Um, and it's, uh, I think they are both the right candidate for each of their parties right now. And, the, and Georgia's changing so much that it's gonna tell us a lot about who Georgians are and who where our political dynamics are in January.
0: Okay, let's uh thank you for that breakdown. Oh, that was great. Uh let's move let's go to the second one, the asaf Purdue. What yes. what are the top lines on that one?
1: So the top lines on that one are that David Perdue is a first term senator, but he is also the first cousin. So Georgia, he's the first cousin of the former governor, Sonny Perdue, who is now also the agriculture secretary to Donald Trump. Um, And so the Perdue name is very well known in Georgia. It's sort of like the the Republican kind of, um, you know, you're. Not royalty, that's, that's too strong of a word, but he's very well known. Um, he had been perceived, I think, as really a business guy. He had been the CEO of Reebok and Dollar General. Oh, okay. also yes, who knew? Um, came out of the corporate world, multi-multi-millionaire also. Uh, lives on a private island in South Georgia, um, on a, in a gated community on a private island. <laughs> so you have to go through two dates to get to the South, Which is so yeah, great. That but, you must know, be he, nice. Yeah, but he's not even nearly as rich as Kelly Loeffler, so it's, um, he's not even close to her to her level. Right. Um but he is he has been very very close to Donald Trump and I I call him sort of like Donald Trump without the Twitter feed. He's a he's a very gentlemanly um traditional southern gentleman type of person, but his his policies are 100% down the line Trump. He's always hmm. been Um, He's always talked about trade, always talked about lower taxes, lower regulation, all the stuff just without the Twitter feed. So in a way, Trump Republicans should really have a lot to like there. But in the state, we've seen this really interesting dynamic where the Republican Party, just like across the country, has really become the Trump Party, with the exception of maybe a handful of people at the state capitol who didn't get the memo. You know, everybody (laughs) else is like. Sounds it's like not
0: Invited to the party.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just not enough to be a Republican in Georgia right now. You need to be a Trump Republican. And right. so David Perdue has had to really change the way he talks, the way he messages, the way he approaches uh, uh, crowds, the way he approaches a camera. It's become much more Trump-like in a way, which is very unusual um, for him. Anyway, uh, but so now he's going up against John Ossoff, and he, you know, it's, there's a huge contrast. Between those two as well, because John Ossoff is 33, he uh, worked on the, he was an intern to John Lewis, and uh, then worked for Hank Johnson, I think, as an L.A. on the house side, Um, came back and didn't start a documentary film company, but he ran a documentary film company. I think this certainly has been reported. Uh, It was an investment from his grandfather's estate, (laughs) a film company, but it's a, he called himself an investigative journalist. I think he was—I mean, he was essentially the head of this documentary film company that that's, did documentaries and sold them to various uh, public, public television, and public media around the globe. He ran for the sixth district seat in Georgia in 2017. If people recognized his name, starting this, uh, that was the first House seat that came open after Trump was inaugurated, and it blew up into a massive national race. Uh, John Alsop raised $40 million in that race. Um, I remember
0: that race. Yes.
1: And it was like the Iowa caucuses, but in Marietta, Georgia, which is very strange. Um, And he has since become, I think a much more sophisticated candidate. He um, is uh, kind of like a young, cool millennial. He's gotten, he's done, has done a ton of outreach to younger voters, also because he had interned for John Lewis, Lewis endorsed him very early in his campaign, and um, I talked to so many voters still who say, you know, if he's good enough for John Lewis, then he's good enough for me. And so those two uh, on election night, um, it was essentially a head-to-head matchup with, with a libertarian, and that's what kept Purdue under um, fifty percent. Purdue got forty-nine percent, Ossoff got forty-six percent. So Ossoff has some work to do. I would say for all of these candidates, without Donald Trump on the ticket, Donald Trump is not there to vote against, and he's not there to vote for. So that is to me the biggest unknown going into January fifth. How do you turn out voters who voted solely because of Donald Trump in November? How do you get them back out in January? And who is motivated at that point? It'll be I'm, it'll be really fascinating.
0: No, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Just you know our you know, are Trump voters demoralized and depressed because he lost, or are they invigorated and motivated to turn out? Um, But before we get to that, what it, so Georgia hasn't been a, um, you know, a battleground state at the presidential level in a long time. The last time was, um, you know, a a Democrat had won, I believe, was Bill Clinton. And, over the years, things, obviously, the, ch- the state has has changed demographically. Um, there was some, uh, you know, there was some hope that maybe Hillary Clinton could win it in 2016, um, and that it really was on the radar screen for Democrats this cycle, but sort of uh, not as high profile as, like, Texas, right, or... Um, you know, you just heard more about Texas and Florida, which is, you know, obviously, I, I think, becoming a, a harder and harder state for Democrats to win. But so I, just can you take us through, like, how is this state now competitive? Like, what has happened with the population, with voting trends that has now made this what appears to be a battleground state for presidential races? And now what what looks like a pretty much a toss-up for the for two senate races
1: so there are i would say three really crucial dynamics from 2020 and two of them had been in the works for more than a decade and the first big trend is the explosion in the population in the metro atlanta suburbs and those suburbs are not you know it's not your traditional soccer moms These are um, really dynamic areas of the city. Um, Younger voters moved in, um, much more diverse voters moved in. Uh, There's a lot of, there are now a lot of corporate headquarters in suburban Atlanta. And so it it has become, it has gone from Newt Gingrich, literally that was his district. It's gone from Newt Gingrich to Lucy McBath. And I would say Lucy McBath is a really great example. She's moved to Atlanta from elsewhere. She um, was a professional. Lived in those northern suburbs, um, African American, um, and also uh, newly engaged in politics. So that really, and a woman, obviously, that's a great example of the difference of what the Sixth District used to look. It used to look like Newt Gingrich, and now it literally looks like Lucy McBath in twenty twelve. As as an example, um, in twenty twelve, Mitt Romney won by twelve points. And in 2020, Joe Biden won by 20 points. So it has been a gargantuan shift. So those metro suburbs are hugely important and they've changed very quickly. And um, but it's not overnight. You know, this has been a decade, decade long process. I would say in 2018, Stacey Abrams and a number of civil rights groups uh, made a, a very, very big investment in Um, registering African American voters. We've always had a very large African American population and Stacey Abrams and a number of of different groups really meaningful increased the share of African Americans who are uh, not only registered to vote, but I think activated to vote and, um, and showing up at the polls. And we are, the AJC is still doing our data on the overlay of um, registered voters, active voters and who turned out in 2020. But those are the two demographic pieces that I think are really interesting. And the third one um, this year was just Joe Biden. Joe Biden was the exact right candidate for Georgia. I do not think that Bernie Sanders would have won Georgia. (laughs) You know, there were just a lot of neighborhoods in Metro Atlanta that had Purdue Biden signs out. Right. That there were these moderate Republican kind of Chamber of Commerce voters who got off the Trump train. they like, I cannot handle this man anymore. I could handle Joe Biden. You know, <laughs> they're like, right. I can live with Joe Biden. They don't love him. They're not Democrats, but it was that to me was the difference. And had Democrats run a different candidate, um, I. I don't know anybody else could have won Georgia except Joe Biden in this cycle. So he, he, was at the, he was the right person in the right place at the right time. Probably for a fully, truly battleground state, Georgia, I think you're looking more at 2024.
0: So when you talk to the operatives on both sides, the Democrats and the Republican operatives, what's their biggest concern?
1: Uh, their biggest, well, on the Republican side, their biggest concern is there are a lot of factors outside of their control. And the biggest factor outside of their control is the president <laughs> sure, sure. because he has um, uh, attacked our governor ruthlessly and said he's embarrassed that he uh, endorsed Governor Brian Kemp, who is a Trump Republican. Um, he, the president has attacked the Secretary of State's office and the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State is getting death threats on an hourly basis now. Um, And the president has attacked
0: Brad
1: Raffensperger with a P. I said, I said, oh, the president just tweeted about you. He said, did he spell my name right? He's like, he always spells it with a B, like Raffensperger, but it's Perger. Well, you Um, can't
0: expect Trump to be able to spell.
1: Certainly no, (laughs) certainly no. Um, But also what he's attacked is the voting system in Georgia. And it is so hard for these Republicans to say, you know, they want early absentee voting they want their people to vote early, absentee, just get it done, get them banked. And the president has said that the election was rigged, that the process was illegal, that absentee voting is illegal. And you're, if you do vote absentee, it's gonna show up in a garbage bag somewhere. And that is a very hard message to work against to, to get your voters back out. Because now I, I'm much, we are doing polling on this, we haven't seen the results yet, but the majority of people I see at Trump rallies believe that this election was stolen from Donald Trump, believe that he won and now deeply know in their hearts that the election system in Georgia doesn't work. So will they go out on January 5th and vote? Um, The other dynamic is that there are some Trump reporters literally telling (laughs) Georgia voters do not vote for Kelly Kelly Leffler and David Perdue if they don't show you that they're fighting hard enough for Donald Trump. Um, there's nothing else that Perdue-Bueckler could do to be closer to Trump, especially in a policy way. Um, right. But it's really pushing them now to to, um, to support the Texas lawsuit against the state of Georgia, which they have done. Um, and they are supporting the president's legal, um, you know, the count, the recount, the this, the that. They've called for the secretary, secretary of state to resign. Um, These are all things that don't have to happen right now. And that puts these Republicans in a really difficult spot. They need those Trump voters. They need their support. They can't win without them. But then are they going to lose those Biden voters who were just looking for a nice, normal person to vote for? You know, it's, it's a very difficult situation. And then for the Democrats, I think they know that a lot of the people who voted in November were only going out to vote for Donald Trump. And they got a lot of the benefit, a a lot of the benefit of um, Joe Biden's coattails. And so they are, they now know um, that they are um, possibly at a disadvantage without Trump at the top of the ticket. Um, Also, John Ossoff finished behind David Perdue. So he needs to find some votes. He needs to um, motivate and turn out, um, hopefully new people to get out to vote. and that's just tough. It's tough to do, as as you know. Like, oh, you didn't vote in November. How about January? You know, right. So, how about three um, days
0: after New Year's?
1: Yes, exactly. Four days after New Year's. And the environment down here, you know, it is it is just like election night, and the Florida recount happened at this on the same day, and they keep happening over and over again every day. And so, people are so tired of politics; they just want it to go away. And um, it's hard for them to get these voters out and get them interested
0: and I'm excited and feeling excited. yeah I, that's that's a great point i so when you're t- when you're doing your your reporting with you know talking to voters and uh, which is obviously a very important part of reporting um, <laughs> not just talking to the candidates and and strategists and uh, i think that's something you guys do great at the ajc um, but like what is, what is, what are they saying are they are, are are they just like you said are they exhausted Are they just like do they do you get a sense and this is all anecdotal, I know, but like, are you getting a sense that people that people are just sort of done with 2020 elections and they don't want to be bothered with this right now?
1: I think they're exhausted and tired of it. Um, of course, the the voters that we find are the ones who are turning out to a candidate rally in December. Right. This this is not your representative sample. Sure. Um, But the voters, the Trump voters are still very activated. And maybe this is his secret sauce. Who knows? The Trump voters are furious, furious about what's happened in the election and are completely ginned up and activated and upset. Um, Now they may not vote, you know, because They've been told not to vote by a subset of of Trump supporters. Um, They may not trust the vote. So we just don't know. But that group feels that this election has been stolen very much, very deeply. Um, And that's concerning on a lot of levels. And then the Democrats, I feel like they think they want to, you know, quote, finish the job. Um, They want to support they you know especially warnock supporters and all well they're it's all the same people essentially um they they do support these candidates um their crowds are smaller um it doesn't mean that they're not gonna get the same number of voters out but it's uh it's a heavy lift I would say to get people active and excited and the tone of the campaigns also has turned wild you know wildly negative it was negative before but especially for Warnock he is having so many negative ads run against him that i could see that depressing turnout a little bit um, on the democratic side and um even for republicans i hear people say you know like this this entire election recount situation has turned them off of the republicans um sort of your chamber of commerce republicans are like what in the world is going on and why are left and pretty a part of this um so i, I, I sense it's going to be a big drop off um, and it's just going to be who has the bigger job off.
0: And just just so we're 100 uh, percent absolutely clear here, there was no evidence of any type of fraud, let alone widespread fraud or um, irregularities or anything that happened in Georgia. Right there.
1: No, not only was there no evidence of fraud, um, Election Day went so smoothly that I was looking for the press release to say, wow, we're amazing. Look at this election we just ran. We just did it better than anybody's ever done it. They went from an average wait time of several hours to an average wait time of three minutes. Um, Rappensberger put so many pieces in place to address the problems that we had in June. There were those terrible lines, people still voting like at midnight um, in the June 9th primary that Rappensberger sort of went through the whole checklist of what went wrong. Um, A big piece of it is that he sent out absentee ballot applications to millions of voters, encouraged, did a PSA to encourage people to vote early. They had a huge um, in-person early voting apparatus um, at the Phillips Arena was the sort of the biggest one in Atlanta and it was very well publicized. And I went down there and it was the, um, the coaches of the Hawks were checking people in um, the team owner was there like checking people's registrations, you know, it was like a big team effort. Um, and then they had, they recruited and had tech support at every precinct in the state. And then they had, um, a dashboard of every precinct in the state to see what the wait times were. And if they were getting up over 10 minutes, they would sort of like flood the zone of what's going on and how can we help. So it was a very, very, very smooth election on election day. And by all accounts, very successful, Um, however, this is the first time Georgia has used voting machines in nearly 20 years. Um, and I think there was some already some suspicion about the voting machines, but what the voting machines provided in Georgia. Now you go and cast your ballots on a touch screen. It produces what is essentially a receipt of your votes. And so in Georgia, you, you get your receipt and you look through who you have voted for on the piece of paper. And if that's everybody who you meant to vote for then you take it and you cast your ballot that way. And so then there's a paper receipt that the state keeps and then it also gets logged on into the computer machines. So um, when the president started to say, I don't, I won, this is being stolen from me. um, There was a full hand recount of every ballot cast, 5 million ballots cast. So if there had been problems on election day, that hand recount was meant to show did we have any problems? And the results were almost identical. There was a, a difference, a discrepancy of about 2,000 votes. of Five million is a tiny number. Um, and then there was an additional machine recount after that. So if there were any problems, if there was any widespread fraud, um, all of those systems are in place to show that. Um, there are also court challenges that people can and did file. And in every single court challenge filed by the Trump Um, legal team, uh, it was thrown out immediately because none of them had evidence. They all had accusations and affidavits. They're like, we have 300 pages of affidavits. Um, But none of them had evidence to go with them. And the judges would say things like, this is an evidence-free claim. What, What are you talking about? So we have seen no evidence. I never, nobody at the AJC has gotten a call. This has happened. Nobody has heard of anything, seen anything known of anything, um, it just hasn't happened. <laughs> and it, it's been counted and recounted and counted again. So, yeah. and it's been the same every time. So had there been any problems, obviously the AGC would want to know about it so we could report on it. Um, and uh, judges would want to know about it. Brad Robbinsburg would want to know about it. And there has been no evidence of anything. And after three full counts of the votes with a nearly identical, statistically identical results. And by the way, Republicans did great down ballot. Right. <laughs> the Republicans. Yeah, how do they
0: explain? I mean, see that that yeah. is this whole thing is obviously just a bunch of bullshit, right? And and you don't you can't say that, but I will. I'm the I can be a partisan here because it's my show. <laughs> uh, but but it's obviously just, I mean, the idea that there was this widespread conspiracy. Uh, in four or five battleground states where in in a number of them they are run by republicans and they were able to and democrats were somehow able to orchestrate this like this 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 whole effort where joe biden benefited by winning but then like all the other democrats who were running down ballot didn't do particularly well republicans won there um, they, they they were able to do it in a way where there was no evidence. Like, to do this, you would have to have so many people involved, right? It, it's just like, at what point do we have to, I mean, we put a lot of, I you know, I, I, you, we can criticize the president for his rhetoric. I think we, my whole view is like, this is sort of who this guy is. But at what point does the responsibility fall on the American people to, sit, to sort of like educate themselves and get the, and sort of, and get themselves read the newspaper or just even you know like I I just put some of the a lot of the blame on the American people for falling for this shit I mean it's just like they're being scammed by a guy who doesn't care about them
1: so when Trump comes to town he obviously tells them a very different story and says I they're not stealing this from me they're stealing this from you like you you know that it's not about me; it's about you. And these are leaders who don't care about you, and I do. You know who else would come to Valdosta, Georgia, on a Saturday night? <laughs> and I promise you, very few statewide leaders go to Valdosta on a Saturday night the way Donald Trump did. Um, and uh, they are getting a totally different set of facts and information uh, from. And the I think it's it's very plausible for 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 people to make different conclusions based on different sets of facts and both believe that they're right and and both be making logical conclusions based on the facts that are presented to them. Now, the right-wing media that's putting this out is being fed this information by Donald Trump and reporting it as news, which it's not. Um, And at a certain point, all you can do (laughs) is just is just say, well, where is the evidence? There is none. There, This, is, this has not happened. And that's yeah. all we can do. And I really do, um, especially when I talk to, not especially, just when I talk to any voters, they all have their reasons for getting to where they got. Um, and I would say voters here in the state have um, every reason to be unhappy with some of the parts of their lives when things changed particularly I would say in the economy um a lot of jobs lost to um well it's a whole long story but a lot of jobs lost and a lot of leaders didn't really care and they said you're going to be fine and they never were and so this is a group of people I think who have been um feel like they've been forgotten and not cared about and here comes Donald Trump who says I care about you and I'm going to fight for you. Now, that's his line. Really, a lot of it is at the end of the day, not it's just not accurate what he says. And the things he says are are not true. But he's got a group of people who believe him and they have their own reasons for believing him. And they certainly don't feel like anybody else is telling them the truth. And um, it, it just has created a situation here in Georgia where we have Republican a Republican governor, secretary of state, lieutenant governor. These voting machines were chosen by Republicans. Um, the uh, laws were passed by Republicans. Republicans did extremely well down ballot. And Donald Trump's the only guy who lost because he's just been so mean to so many people. <laughs> that, right. But I talked to voters who were set up vote for Purdue and Biden. And I, and they're like, and whoever, you know, they didn't really know a whole lot about Kelly Lesnar. Um but it's uh, I understand why people are Trump supporters and I understand why they believe them. Presidents tell people to go to war. Presidents tell people to do things in history that they have not wanted to do, but they trusted their president. You know, we have a president now who's telling people things and they're believing him because it's sort of an American. Um, I think it's embedded in the American culture to want to believe the president. Uh, but we have now a situation in Georgia where. An election has been done legally, and the president says it's illegal, and you have a good portion of the state believing it's illegal, and now you have state legislators moving into a legislative session who are going to start to pass laws to restrict access to absentee voting because Donald Trump says it's illegal, which it's not. But then, you know, we have pretend complaints that are going to lead to real-world solutions to a problem that did not exist. And that, to me, is the biggest concern. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the Senate races.
0: <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but I think that's, that's what's because, going on. I mean, look, I, I think you're right about, obviously, there are, the, and it, it, I don't, I'm not questioning so much the, you know, the reasons behind why certain, why Trump maintains, you know, a, a significant amount of support in this country. What I do, I do question is that, you know, that people are so easily, um, many of these people are being easily manipulated by him. Um, and by, and not, and, and there are plenty of Republicans and independents who voted for Trump the first time who didn't vote for him. And they looked at, they, they sort of, they, 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 they felt like it was, they need, you know, the swamp needed to be cleaned in 2017, you know, 2016, and they voted for Trump and then they realized sort of what they got and they made the, and then they ended up voting against him And they were able to see through all of this, you know, all of the, the lies, um, but let me let me ask you a quick question about. Um, so I read this interesting article by your colleague Jim Galloway, who's you know a w- institution down there, yeah. um, and I think he's retiring pretty soon, which I was sad to see. But uh, he wrote this column, and it was um, it really just got into this dynamic um, where you know uh, where it 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 appears as though you know that the the Republicans and primarily the Leffler campaign um is um doing everything they can right now to disparage what his point was and it was it wasn't that this explicit but it was like sort of an attack on the black church and Ebenezer you know and sort of the and you know the Ebenezer Baptist church which as you mentioned was Dr. King's uh church his dad's church where uh uh Reverend Warnock uh Um, is a pastor it's also a place where kelly loeffler visited uh like uh just within the last year or so before the you know before the race when he was when when, with with uh warnock there and it's also a place that um i think johnny isaacson used to go to regularly on mlk day and you know, I mean, it's a revered place, but now, like, we see people like Doug Collins and some of these Republicans who are going after Warnock and and also going after now the like. There's this this weird thing going on between like, you know, like Republicans in the Black Church down there that I found somewhat interesting, and 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 Galloway Galloway's column was really fascinating. Just you know, to 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 have him explain sort of how this is a really dangerous thing because like there was a you know like there were some things that were just off limits, you know, and um and and sort of, and sort of Ebenezer Baptist Church was one of those things. And now it seems like it's being politicized. Anyway, what what's your what what's your take on that? Yeah.
1: So Ebenezer is, you know, as you said, just a revered institution in Atlanta. And um really the reason that Atlanta was able to move Um, to, I think, be a leader in in the civil rights movement and then also to move on to the next chapter for the city uh, was because there was a partnership between um, uh, Black leaders, especially at Ebenezer, um, and the white business community, and um, to say we we all need to move the city forward. And that's where the the term like too busy to hate came from. We want to be a progressive city in the South. And um, the new south, the new south. Exactly. Remember that? So, um, oh, yeah, now people are kind of embarrassed about <laughs> But so they um, there has been a real effort on both parts to cultivate a partnership um, in Atlanta. And it, it had been uh, white Democratic leaders and then it became white Republican leaders once the sort of the political leadership turned over. And especially Johnny Isaacson, but also uh, Nathan Deal, our former governor, um, Jimmy Carter, a number of white leaders have um, really reached out in partnership with Ebenezer. And every MLK day, Ebenezer hosts uh, a big program and invites all of the leaders of the state. And Johnny Isaacson went every year that he was in the Senate, um, and I would assume many years before that. I went one year and Al Gore was there. Presidents come, vice presidents. It's... Um, it's a really big deal and kelly leffler was there uh she was invited to come last january and she came and said thank you so much i grew up in the church this is great um but as this campaign has gone on um republicans uh had not too too much to this point attacked reverend Warnock, um and that was really because leffler was in this huge duke it out fight against Doug Collins, and uh, they just left Warnock off on the side and fought each other, assuming there was like one ticket for Republican out of that. Um, Once once we got into the runoff portion of this campaign, um, a decision was made by Republicans to not only go after Reverend Warnock, which is completely a fair game, but to use, um, in many instances, what he has said from the pulpit at Ebenezer and um, uh, there are a bunch of ads running here in the state with some of the things he said at Ebenezer, but a lot of them were said in the wake of you know, the shooting of Trayvon Martin, the shooting, you know, for all of these incidents of police shootings um, uh, against young black men and not, not in Trayvon Martin's case, but um, so much violence against the black community. And so his uh, his sermons at Ebenezer were very, um, angry and, um, sad and, uh, you know, all of the thing, all of the emotions that everybody felt, not everybody, but many people felt, um, this summer just devastated. And a lot of the sermons reflected that. Um, but since he's become a political candidate, now those sermons are being used in political ads, um, which in, and a lot of it has the overtones of, um, the, when Barack Obama was running and Jeremiah Wright became a campaign issue. And even Jeremiah Wright has come up as an issue down here because uh, Reverend Warnock um, knew Jeremiah Wright and came to his defense in 2008. And so obviously it starts to have a very uncomfortable feeling um, uh, undertones of race and religion and, uh, there is an there was an ad out against him that he, against Reverend Warnock, that he is anti-Israel and anti-Semitic. Um, and I reached out to uh, uh, the leadership at the temple down here, the oldest Jewish congregation uh, in the city. And uh, the, the rabbi there is very good friends with Reverend Warnock. And the Jewish leaders in Atlanta have really come to his defense, but it has become this swirl of Um, of attacks on Warnock. And and Republicans did so much work up to this point to build those bridges with the Black community and with Ebenezer as sort of a stand-in for the Black community. And um, there was that moment when Doug Collins was at a Kelly Leffler event about a month ago and said, there's no such thing as a pro-choice pastor. And he said, that is a lie straight from the bed of hell and I, and we're going to send it back to Ebenezer church. And that was sort of like the needle off the record. Everyone was like, right. Oh my God, you know, did he say that? And you think of sort of the implications of that and that Kelly Loeffler was appointed to fill Johnny Isaacson's seat and Johnny Isaacson, you can't imagine what he must've thought in that moment. So it's so much work to build bridges, um, in these communities and you know the great hope is that those don't fall as a result of this campaign and and remain fallen um and it's a very sad (laughs) it's actually very sad as an atlantan um to know the history of this city and you and you really i think the whole city is hoping that this does not create permanent damage between these two communities Um, just because this is a campaign that's happening and this is, being, is what's being said in the campaign. So that's a long answer.
0: Right. I mean, the, 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 re, the and here's my sort of uh, translation of that is that, look, Republicans are trying to make the focus, as you mentioned earlier, make the focus of this campaign on Reverend Warnock, right? Like sort of ignore that Ossoff is running. Uh, and what they're trying to do is make him into the scary black man. And, this is a strategy that Republicans have um, implemented against other black men running for office. They did the, yeah, I was involved in, and helped uh, on the Andrew Gillum race in, in, in Florida in 2018. And they did the same stuff. They, it, it, it's right out of the playbook that, you know they, they try to pit the candidate against, Jew, you know, uh, Israel and, 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 uh, and, and Jewish people. They, they call them a socialist. They try to create some sort of ethical cloud over the black candidate. You know, all of these things. You know, they. You know, all of these things are done to create fear among um, suburban voters, primarily suburban white women. Um, And that's what they're doing to Reverend Warnock. I mean, it's all it's it's all right out of their textbook attack on. Uh, candidates of color, you know, especially when black men run for office. Um, How do you think Reverend Warnock's campaign has handled the attacks? And I know, I know we're running short on time, but I'm just, what is your, are they handling it? Well, how are they pushing? Are they pushing back? Well, what's your, you've you've been covering campaigns. You've worked on campaigns. Like what's your, what's your sense on, on all this
1: yeah well it, they have you know they tried to inoculate him from this and ran an ad of, um, of him with ad. a puppy you know it was a yeah. great ad actually I love his ads are so good um, yeah. it ran an ad of him with a puppy and said you're gonna hear a lot of you're gonna hear a lot about me you're even gonna hear that I don't like puppies um, and so they knew that these were coming obviously they knew that his sermons were going to be um, rife for uh, dismemberment and repackaging as campaign ads. Um, they, I think, they are trying to, in a sense, kind of turn the other cheek, if you will. It has not been an aggressive pushback, and even in their debate that they had between Leffler and Warnock, I think he has to work very hard to present a very controlled, um, positive. If it ever goes negative, it is always um, based in some factor policy. Um, and I don't know if that's enough. You know, I don't know. I mean, I did work on a campaign where we got just we're just getting attacked like crazy, and, and the consultants were like, no, it's fine. It's fine. No one's even going to believe that stuff. Let's don't dignify with a response. And of right. course, we lost. You know, we lost yeah, because was, of how people. It, I remember
0: it. that campaign. It yes. was. Uh... Senator Max Cleland, who was yes. a double or triple amputee being quite, you know, having his patriotism questioned.
1: Yes. And it was the reason I left politics actually is so discouraging and sad. Um, but, you know, I just don't know if it's enough. Um, and we'll see. I think they are really banking on the fact on two things that um, voters are really tired of the back and forth and they would like to see positive leadership. And everybody says that, you know, but campaign, negative campaigns do work. Um, and I think they're also, I think they also know that Warnock is not in a position because voters don't know him very well. He can't come out and scream at Kelly Loeffler. Any male candidate has a very hard time yelling at a woman. <laughs> he, you know, as much as, um, it, it would probably be different if he was, if Kelly Warnock were Ken Warnock, you know, but it, all these these dynamics are so new in Georgia to have a white woman and a black man both running against each other statewide. Um, and because both of them are so new, um, I think with new candidates, they have a much narrower um, path to walk in terms of how angry can you get, how defensive can you get. Um, you want to always be portraying a positive and trustworthy leader um, even when you're getting the crap kicked out of you. So, um, it's tough, go
0: ahead. No, I was just going to say that's a challenge and you've covered women candidates and women politicians over your career. Um, but that's a challenge that, you know, um, I mean, as a black man, you know, there are, there, you know, there is a, you're constantly trying to calibrate things, right. In in conversations when, you know, um, in conversations when you're, you happen to be the only black person in the room or as a candidate who is running for office and you're sort of juggling, you know, having to come across as you can't be the angry black man, but you also can't be viewed as timid and getting walked over. And it's a sort of constant balancing on a walking on a tightrope. It's the same thing that many women candidates have the same, you know, have different challenges, obviously, when it comes to sort of images and, and, uh, and stereotypes that they have to battle. Um, so it is an interesting sort of dynamic where you have a woman facing off a black man versus a black man here. Um, but it, but I do think it's, you know, I do think what we're seeing putting aside that dynamic. I mean, I think what we're all seeing though, is, you know, this is sort of textbook Republican attacks on, um, on, on candidates of color. This is what they do. This is what they do in every race. Um, and, uh, You know, I guess, you know, my parting question for you, and I'll let you go. um, Do you do you expect on January 5th that there is there a possibility we could have a split decision, meaning one, you know, maybe you you have a a Democrat and a Republican win?
1: I think that is would be very unusual and unexpected. Um, yeah. It's possible because everything has happened down here this year that we did not expect. <laughs> so I've stopped trying to not expect the unexpected. Um, Ossoff is better known. Um, and uh, Ossoff has not gotten the same kind of attacks as Robert Warnock has. So those are two advantages he has going into it. Um, uh, and I don't want to leave this leave this conversation without saying, Warnock is incredibly inspiring to a lot of people, a ton of people. And um, when he's on the stump and Ossoff is on the stump at the same time, Warnock is a superstar. You know, he is, uh, he is has uh, so many kind of innate attributes that make him a great candidate. So I don't want to act like, Oh, Ossoff has a chance and Warnock doesn't. Cause that's just not the case at all. Um, but at this point, what the messaging and the expectations are that this is going to be a base election, that it's going to be hardcore Democrats going out um, to vote for a Democratic Senate and hardcore Republicans going out uh, to avenge the, the legend of Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, basically. So I can't imagine those hardcore Democrats. I can't imagine a single one of them voting for Either Loeffler or Purdue, and those hardcore Republicans, I can't imagine a single one of them voting for um, either uh, Ossoff or Warnock. It feels like it's going to be a base turnout, and those mythical Biden Purdue voters um, might just stay home. So I don't know how much split ticket voting there's going to be. It's a, it, Right now, the messaging is all toward the base, and I think the turnout's going to probably miss.
0: Patricia Murphy, my friend. Thank you so much for uh, (laughs) joining me. We had some technical difficulties in the beginning. I I was trying to, there's just too many different things that are wireless these days and so anyway, but we had a great conversation and thank you for all of your insight into uh, Georgia politics, particularly these Senate races. Uh, If people want to follow your work, where do they go?
1: Yes, I'm on Twitter at one Patricia Murphy. That's the best place where I push out my work and Retweet the work of my colleagues at the AJC who are doing an incredible, just incredible work in this time that is just, it's just, I've never seen anything quite like it. And so um, for a small newsroom, they're doing an enormous amount of really, really great work. So I, I like to retweet my colleagues as well.
0: Fantastic. Um, thank you so much. Um, for jumping on the electables. I'd love to have you back. And, and you. at some point we will have our, <laughs> we, will, we, will, we will build our media empire together. Yes,
1: we will. Yes, send me that that's a screenplay, screenplay you're me. working on.
0: Yes. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Of course. This has been a, another episode of the electables and it's Friday, the uh, December 11th. This is the day that uh, all 50 states and uh, the District of Columbia have now certified uh, the 2020 election results, the final count uh, is Joe Biden winning 81,282,376 votes, which puts him at 51.3%. And Donald Trump, 74,222,576 votes, which puts him under 47%. So um, that is a, uh, that's a that's 24 point. Uh, two point, four point 2.4 point margin swing against trump versus 2016 um and uh, almost 16 percent increase in votes cast so that's where we are today uh thank you for joining the electables uh and um if you uh if you want to follow um more on this georgia race i do encourage you to go uh uh Follow my friend uh, Patricia Murphy. She's a great reporter and all the other reporters down at AJC, down at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, doing great work. Um, For my producer, Michael Palquin, this is Doug Thornell. We'll catch you next time.